Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unifydhealing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. The Big Bets on Campus podcast. 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 All right, here we go. Court. Ten seconds remaining. They just got to throw it under the basket. Under the basket. It's the truth for the win. Go on. Oh, he did it. A miracle. Hutchins. Double water. Hit that one from the parking lot. Shock it all. In college basketball. It's not the size of the dog in the fight. It's the size of the fight in the dog. What's up, Degeneration? Welcome to Big Bets on Campus podcast. This is the weekend college basketball betting preview. I'm Stucky, and with me, as always, is BJ Cunningham. We have a lot to get to today. We will have, as always, our Friday night six-pack with the guys from Three Man Weave. We will talk with Colin Wilson. We'll check in with him shortly. And I have an interview with uh, Simon from the site Shot Quality that we reference a lot uh that uh we will get to toward the end of the show before we get to and then obviously we'll get to saturday's card and a bunch of spots that we have circled before we get to that bj we have ice storm warnings here it's like your iowa hawkeyes got they got they gave our cancel tonight um yeah, thank god you were not looking forward to that one no 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 we typically never play good in columbus so i'm very happy to get that uh pushed back even though we did play pretty well against uh penn state and lost in overtime it was one of those just let's just push it back because they're looking not that great right now. Let's switch things up uh, while we wait on Colin and we'll start with this week. Let's start with the Friday night six pack. Okay. With the guys from Three Man Weave. Six guys, six picks. It's a College Hoops weekend six pack. Guys, for my best bet, I'm taking Princeton. Princeton minus one, heck, up to minus two, going to Cornell. For my money, the Tigers are the best team in the Ivy. They played a close game with Cornell last game, but neither team's star was in. Llewellyn was out for Princeton. Jordan Jones was out for Cornell. They both should be back in in this game. You got to think Princeton wants this. They want to complete the sweep in 2022. Cornell swept them two years ago in the regular season. Of course, the Ivy didn't play last year. There's not a lot of travel here. There's a low home court in these Ivy games. Most have little to no fans in the stands. 
Princeton has the best defensive rebounding rate in the Ivy. That combats Cornell's offensive rebounding rate, which is also number one in the Ivy. Great ball handling from Princeton negates Cornell's pressure, their high turnover rate defensively. I love me some Princeton. Princeton minus one, minus two. Thank you, Kai. I'm staying in the Ivy as well for my best bet. I'm looking at Harvard. The Crimson headed to Brown, not at long travel, as most travel expeditions in the Ivy are not. These two teams already played this year, and Brown got the better of Harvard on the road in Cambridge. But in that game, they went 15 of 26 from downtown, an absolute nuclear performance from deep. I just don't think that's sustainable. I think they've been fortunate to win games early this season. We've seen some regression from the Bears lately. We've talked about on this program before how it's a very athletic team. It's a long a fast team relative to their Ivy peers, but Harvard's the exception. They have length and speed and spades, uh, just a litany of six, six wings. The problem with Harvard this season has been, they don't have a front court, but now they got Mason Forbes backs last game. This is his second game back. It's more of a complete roster, despite a few other injury concerns for the Crimson. There's enough bullets in the chamber here. It's a great spot at a point in the season when they need wins like blood. And I think they come out with a strong effort here and a bounce back revenge type spot here against the bears. For my best bet, I'm going with Toledo, a road favorite at Ball State. I'm seeing minus 9. I like them up to minus 10. I think they win this game by double digits. They've already beaten Ball State by 13 at home, and that is a misleading final score. The Rockets had a 17-0 run in the first half to get up by double digits. They were up 27 with six minutes to play, gave up a pointless 16-2 run to make this look respectable, but it was not. This Toledo team blows teams out. They're 4-0 against the spread as a road favorite this year, covering by an average of 9.5 per game. Covering by 9.5 per game. That's insane. They're 10-1 against the spread in MAC play this year. Numbers just cannot keep up with them. They make threes. They spread you out. They've got great guards. They knock down free throws. We love that when you're backing a favorite. And they're highly motivated. Every interview with any of their guys, whether it's a coach with Ryan Rollins, their star guard, they talk about the disappointment from last year's MAC tournament and how that's really motivating them to steer. They are not a team that's letting their foot off the gas, especially enough to let Ball State back in this in in single digits. I don't buy that. The concerns, I'm sure Stucky will share these. Ball State can make threes, and Toledo has some possible regression coming in their defensive numbers, both at the free throw line and the three-point line. And Ball State had 18 offensive rebounds in that first game, but neither of those are enough to keep me off this one. I think the rocket ships are truly a rocket ship. And like I said, I like them up to minus 10 on Friday. All right. Thanks, guys. I think Jim's at the Arizona game tonight. Uh, jealous. That should be an electric atmosphere. Kai is going with Princeton minus two at Cornell. Matt is going with Harvard plus four at Brown. Jim is going with the against the spread monster Toledo Rockets. Minus eight and a half at Ball State. I believe Toledo has the best against the spread record in all of college basketball. Before we get to which one of those we're going to use as the six, which one we agree on, I'll go to you, BJ. Where are you going? I'm going to stay in the Ivy League. Uh, I'm going to go Dartmouth Yale over 135 and a half. Uh, Dartmouth, middle of the pack offense in the Ivy League, but they shoot a ton of threes, a little over 44% of their field goal attempts come from behind the arc. They're going up against a Yale defense that is due for some negative aggression, uh, especially from three-point range. They're only allowing 28.6% from behind the arc in conference play, which is just not sustainable. Yale also allows opponents to get to the free throw line at the second highest rate in the Ivy League, and Dartmouth is shooting over 80% from the charity strike. So 
decent matchup for Dartmouth. The the big thing in this one is uh, the tempo of this game is probably going to be in Yale's favor since they are favored uh, by quite a few points. Yale plays the second fastest tempo in the conference while Dartmouth is the slowest. So if Yale gets out to a big lead, Dartmouth is going to be forced to pick up their tempo. Yale top uh, top 20% in college basketball in points per possession in post-up sets. Dartmouth is 351st in post-up defense. Yale also gets the free throw line at the highest rate in the Ivy League. So a lot working against Dartmouth defensively in this matchup. Also, both these offense are top, offenses are top 100 in turnover percentage on offense. So uh, I think this is a good matchup for both offenses. So I like over 135 and a half points. Yeah, uh, an ID over, like it. Uh, I'm going to go with what I think is the spot of the weekend, and that's Colorado State minus two and a half at home against San Diego State. This game is absolutely massive for Colorado State's tournament hopes. Uh, they, you know, were looking good to get a potential at large, and then they dropped two straight. A bad loss to UNLV at home when Bryce Hamilton just went bonkers, and then they lost in overtime to Wyoming when they missed a, a free throw with as uh, basically with, with no time left to win it. And then they lost in overtime. So now they come home Friday to get San Diego state and a, just a home hype spot off two losses. Oh, and by the way, they lost by 30 at San Diego state throw in the revenge as well. San Diego state in the road this year, they lost to BYU. They lost to Michigan. They beat UNLV and they lost to Utah State. That's it. Obviously a different team away from Vegas. And this isn't Colorado State's all-out max effort in front of an all-out max crowd. I don't know what is. Love this team coming into the year, and I think this is a good time to buy them at home. Another piece of good news with Colorado State is like, all right, if the game is close, it's funny because I said that they just missed a free throw to, to win the game there. But generally speaking, and who was who? Uh, I think that was... Rod, yeah, David Roddy missed the free throw, and he's like, he's he's a pretty good free throw shooter. But on the season, they are tenth in the nation in free throw shooting. They're shooting seventy nine percent. That's no fluke. Last year they finished seventy nine point two percent, the seventh best team in the country. So if it's close late and you need, you know, Stevens and company to make free throws to push you across the edge and and kind of prevent that back door. Now that I said that, there'll be there'll certainly be a back door. But I'm going to go with Colorado State minus two and a half. And now we have to decide on which of the three-man we's we've, we've gotten two right. So we, we got there, we picked which one we liked both times. I think including that, because we're going to count it as either two wins or two losses. The six-pack is now seven and five on the year. Which one do we like the most? I don't see a ton of value in Toledo. Yeah, I agree. I mean, they are an against the spread monster, but, um, and there's certain teams this year, which is very weird. They just cover every game. But I think Ball State, they're not going to turn Ball State over. Ball State has some advantages off the dribble that I think that they can exploit. Toledo has Ohio on deck. I don't, I don't know. I think that this, this is pretty, I, you would have to assume close to their peak market value. I actually like this Brown team, and they've just been running pretty poorly. So, I, yeah, I agree that Princeton is the better team than Cornell. And home, home court in the Ivy is just not worth much at all so if i had to choose i would go with princeton minus two at cornell any thoughts i don't, don't really have a, a good feeling about toledo at all um and i do agree that princeton is the better team so i'm going to defer to you and well i guess we'll go with princeton all right there you have it so it's double pick on princeton we have to, jim's going with toledo matt is going with harvard plus four 
EJ, you're going with an Ivy over, Dartmouth over, and then I'm going with Colorado State at home against San Diego State. Uh, looks like we have Mr. Colin Wilson, who's now joining us for his weekly check-in. Mr. Wilson, peeking over the fence for a couple minutes. Can you hear <laughs> Woo, pig suey. Wilson, what are you doing up? Well, Tim, I couldn't sleep, so I thought I'd come out and squeeze my apples. It's none of my business, but should you be doing that in private? What's up? How are you? How are you doing? Good. You are one and zero. Unfortunately for you, we didn't count every SEC Big Twelve game as a win loss, as I was originally going to do. But the SEC, one of the takeaways of the week that I had was how well the SEC fared against the Big Twelve. I think they finished eight and three. It didn't start off well with LSU getting just the, the crap kicked out of them. Uh, Pinson's still, you know, trying to get back there. We'll see if LSU's defense can hold up. Maybe they are hokey, but yeah, you're right. I think it was seven and three on the weekend, and just. Uh, you know, Razorbacks, Wildcats, it doesn't matter. That I mean, that if you're a Kentucky fan and you see that kind of performance in Allen Fieldhouse, I mean, you've got to be pretty excited about the future. Yeah, it's, uh, you know, you had that, that Tennessee performance, the Kansas, the blowout of UNC. You know, they had a couple other spots on the road where they had some injuries but looked good. So, I mean, yeah, we are very excited about the Cats here, and it's my only future, Team One future. In the big dance. Uh, all right, so we bring you here. Are you? By the way, any ice issues where you at? Yeah, we had lots of snow and ice, but I got power, so I'm not going to complain. Uh, college baseball odds just came out. Arkansas is like fourth on the board, so I think there's probably going to be a Dallas Baptist 50 to one come down the pipe. They're always in the super regionals. Uh, Nebraska Cornhuskers should have beat Arkansas and be in the supers last year. There could be a 225 to one bet out there for those of you. So hopefully. Sometime when the season starts, we can get a BBOC college baseball uh, pod out there. You know, a little month of baseball in before Stucky and I start doing football. Well, there's the uh, the Arkansas mention. And you can be a little more excited about your Hogs, that basketball team as of late. They are definitely on the upswing. Now, the question for you is, did you bring a winner with you uh, for Saturday? What do you got? Yeah, I'm going to take Villanova. I watched that game against Marquette last night and probably the worst performance that they've had on the season. Trailed by five, trailed by 13 to Marquette. Marquette just shot lights out. Probably the worst game of the season Villanova has played. I think they're going to come home. They're going to be anywhere. Ken Palm says seven, could be five to seven and a half. Uh, they're going to be favorited over UConn. Uh, it's going to be a huge game, but there's just a huge discrepancy. You know, Villanova. They love to shoot the three ball. Connecticut's outside the top 200 in perimeter defense. They don't defend the ball. They don't defend it very well. Connecticut is really big offensively and getting to the free throw line, much like Arkansas. But the problem is Villanova doesn't foul a whole bunch. They don't send their opposing teams to the line. But just over the simple fact that if you don't have a perimeter defense, Villanova can absolutely tear you apart. Where Connecticut thrives is interior paint. And in the interior... Uh, they're fourth in the nation in two-point percentage defense, and that really makes their adjusted efficiency on defense top 25 in the nation. But they're outside the top 200 in, in, in defending the perimeter, and I think Villanova probably going to have a chip on their shoulder for that performance they had at Marquette. Uh, they'll, they're going to go home. I think they defend home. I think they're long range. They're not going to send Connecticut to the line. Uh, give, me, give me Villanova. Yeah, I don't mind that. You should get a, a max effort here after Villanova suffered i would have liked it a little more if, if connecticut didn't if they ended up beating creighton but i think that there's some exploitable matchups there we will see if you can move to 2-0 and after uh, a nice showing last week in the sec big 12 challenge 
good luck to your hogs. Stay dry, stay warm, and uh, stay with power. And uh, we'll catch up with you next week, brother. All right, see you guys. Thanks, Colin, for joining us. Before we get to uh, some of the spots we had circled for Saturday, key takeaway or two from the week that was? I don't know what to make of the Big 12 right now. It's uh, Texas. I guess Texas Tech is the best team at that current state, which I think was is kind of a crazy statement if we go back a, a month ago before they played Baylor. Kansas is an absolute roller coaster right now. Obviously, they had injuries and somehow beat Iowa State, but their performance against Kentucky was really bad this past weekend. Baylor almost lost to, to West Virginia. I know they had a couple guys out, but it's one of these leagues that I think once we come – to the conference tourney time with all these, these three teams basically looking vulnerable, especially on the road, it could be a potential play on somebody down the board and then a long shot to, to make a run uh, on these teams because all of them look vulnerable. So a team like Texas or West Virginia or TCU, I think could potentially provide some value come conference tourney time. And uh, I just don't know if Marquette or Providence are ever going to come back down to earth. Um, I have a lot of spots circled in the future for those two teams, and uh, we'll see if the regression monster ever hits either of them. Yeah, uh, my I, I I agree there. I think a tech, I need to see Beard has to figure something out. There's just something missing with that Texas lineup. Um, so I'm curious to see how Texas plays to see if they're worth another hit. Uh, Big 12 championship future on them last year going into the conference tournament. I think they were maybe five or six to one. Um, so I could see them having value, um, but I need to see Beard. I just need to see more from more consistency from that roster, specifically against top tier competition, right? Like it, it just hasn't been great. Now that was an awful spot, right? Like just yeah. one of the best home court advantages in college basketball and one of the best home court advantage spots which is ultimately what kept me off Texas, uh, even on the opener of six. But yeah, there's still something uh, that's just lacking with Texas. My big takeaway is I, I still, I haven't picked a winner in weeks. So I guess we could talk about slumps. It's always a good topic that I talk about because I think that it's, it's, and I always say this, it's what makes, it doesn't, might necessarily make you a winning better, but it's what makes you, prevents you from being a complete losing better. And it's how you deal with, slumps and you know we're going to talk with uh simon from shock quality later there are so many things you can do while you're going through a slump to 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 double check okay is it my numbers is it the spots that i'm looking for or am i just running bad same thing when you're on a really good streak right that some of my best streaks i've been just getting you're just getting really lucky like when you're running really hot and everything is hitting that means you're probably seeing things well and you're getting really lucky you're getting the late back doors you're you know you're coming back from double digits down well, the opposite, the opposite is true for me right now. Having some bad spots and then, you know, getting backdoored like Loyola Chicago last night, blowing double-digit leads, et cetera, et cetera. But you can look at a couple things, CLV. You, you want to track this. You, you know, I track, you know, and it's just if you want to take it a little more serious, closing line value. If you're getting that, it's a pretty good predictive signal. Um, you know, you go to a site like Shot Quality, okay? If, what, what should the adjusted final score? You get to do this in football, too. There's t- fluke turnovers. There's a lot of variance when, when you're betting sports, especially in the short term. Um, and, you know, lucky, unlucky. I mark every bet and I do it the next day, lucky or unlucky. I think said someone tweeted me and said you're like net negative 15 un- with unlucky losses this year. I'm, I, I think I was at 13 or 14, same difference. Sometimes you're getting really lucky. And, and then if you're on a bad streak and none of those things are happening, then you're like, all right, well, maybe I got to look at my numbers. Maybe I'm not. But the most important thing is you just – 
have to ride them out. There are, you're always going to have bad streaks. I've been betting college basketball almost daily for since 2003. Do you know how many bad streaks I've had? I mean, I've had uh, college football too. I had a college football season where I didn't have one single winning weekend. One. I had a college basketball season where I lost 42 units. Um, so they happen. Sometimes it's not your, you have to bet. Don't, you, you could have a, you're going to have a losing month. You could have a losing season. I still have losing seasons in sports, losing months, losing weeks. And then you're going to have times when you're losing and then everything's going against you. And if, you know, for me, it sucks the most for people that are following me, I, the money, the, the, that's what drives me crazy. And I spend, and, and mainly just wanting to win. That's, that's my drive every single second that I'm awake, but I'm used to the swings. I can, I take them and I know that they're going to come and I just will shoot and fire through them. And, um, and meanwhile, while I'm looking at all the things that I just mentioned, but if you can't handle them, the last thing you can, you should be doing is chasing, uh, just trying to get your balances back and, you're going to lose sometimes and you're going to have bad luck sometimes. And if you can't handle it, you got to start betting less or just take a couple days off, right? Take a couple days away from betting, clear your head. You can always, you can always look at, this is a trick that I tell people that had trouble doing this, that were like problem betters, right? That would chase and do it. Write down what you, what, what would have bet. And you can root against that. Um, if you want sweats, like, oh, I, I would have had a, a losing day. People, you're going to do that regardless. And then, you know, you had a day where you have a day where, oh, wow, I would have went one and nine and I didn't bet. And then you, you, you'll feel a little better about jumping back in. So, um, you know, if you're ever dealing with the, a slide and the mental aspect of it, I DM with people all the time that are like that. Uh, happy to lend an ear and, and my advice. Another thing with tracking, which is so important, why the Action Network app is great. You don't have to do it manually, but I've been doing it manually and on the Action Network app forever, is you can go back and you can look at previous slides and be like, it's okay. It feels like the sky's falling. You know, and you go into every, when you're in one of these slips, you go into every night with just dread. You're like, and then every game, you're like, it's going to, the ball's going to bounce the other way. But if you go back and look, you're, you're, you go back and you go, oh, wow, look at this horrible slide. And then it ended up being okay. You know, January, I went 60, 66, and three. And I went back and looked at last January, I was 61, 67, and four. So like I was the exact same place and then had a killer February, March, and everything was okay. So it gives you, you know, you can frame these kind of runs in betting because they're always going to be there. Um, so hopefully uh, we can get a turnaround for all those following usually do. And uh, we, we grind on. Do you have any advice on slumps and how to deal with them? The biggest thing, at least just for myself and what I've learned over the years is to just constantly keep questioning yourself and keep listening to other people. I'm, I'm, I'll be the first one to say that I don't know everything and everything that I've learned over the years is because I've learned it from people that are smarter than me, like you, for example, and learning that the ways that I've been doing, you know, betting and everything, if I am losing, I have to look at it and I say, okay, did I, like you said, did I just get really lucky for an entire season? Does my system actually work or the projections that I'm using, do they actually work? I've had to question that many times from, you know, from baseball to football, whatever it is. And then seeing other people, what they're doing, constantly comparing to what they have. And honestly, just having some humility and not thinking that, you know, if you're betting and you're winning, not thinking that you're the, like, you know, the greatest 
better on earth, but constantly say, okay, even if I am winning, is what I'm doing correct? You know, looking at those shot quality numbers and, and constantly questioning, am I doing this correctly? Am I getting, putting myself in the best position? And like you mentioned, CLV is the biggest indicator of that. If you are constantly beating the market, you eventually that's, you've almost already won if you've beaten the market by a few points, because over time you are going to be positive, essentially, if you are constantly getting uh, what we call expected value on every single bet. So the slumps are hard. I, I understand that. I've gone through plenty tough slumps in, in my life as well. I'm kind of and currently in one right now uh, with college basketball. And I'm, you know, it's, it's starting to kind of turn the other way, but like you said, if, if you're constantly getting, putting yourself in the right position and making the right bets, if you look back on the shot quality numbers and, you know, it says, Hey, maybe you should have won that statistical regression always finds its mean. I know it's hard to see when you go through these stretches, but water will always find its level when it comes to these, this type of regression. So I would just tell everybody out there, like you said, if, if you are losing and you can't handle the swings, bet less, you know, take a few nights off, obviously don't, chase those type of numbers but if you're constantly betting you know the same amount of money on every single bet over time that statistical regression will find its mean and you know some seasons you won't win but over a long length of time if you're constantly getting the best number you and eventually in the long run you will win and that's i think what people have to to look at it's hard to see in the short term but just know that in the long term if you're getting the best position you eventually will be positive yeah. Yeah. There are a lot of tools out there. Action Network app follow, you know, you track your picks on there. It'll give you a lot of insight without having to do anything um, except yep. tracking your bets. All right. Let's move on to Saturday and try to find some winners by low spot. I'll let you kick it off. Um, what do you got? Uh, let's go West Virginia at home, taking on Texas tech coming off that emotional win against Texas. This is a, a good spot for West Virginia. Who's lost five straight. They almost upset. Baylor in Waco on Monday night. They actually led by 10 early in the second half, but ended up collapsing. They've played a very difficult schedule uh, during their losing streak. They lost to Kansas, Baylor twice, Texas Tech on the road, which they should have actually covered. They should actually covered on the road in Lubbock and then Oklahoma and Arkansas. Uh, Texas Tech didn't handle the press very well the first time that they faced West Virginia. They Their bottom half of college basketball uh, in press offense and West Virginia is also 16th in turnover percentage while Texas tech is around 240th offensively. And, you know, tech just has had a ton of fortunate bounces, especially in that Texas game. O'Banner had two <laughs> bricks that ended up going in, uh, in the game against Texas. They only allowed the Longhorns to shoot, uh, 28% from behind the arc. It's the team that's kind of due for a little bit of negative aggression Ken Palm has us at Texas Tech minus five. I would love to get West Virginia at plus five, but I would play them down to, to plus four. I think it's just a good spot for the Mountaineers to potentially either end their losing streak or play Texas Tech really tough at home. Yeah, I just want to circle to a great buy low, sell high spot. West Virginia has seen a lot of these defenses, these no middle. They have some guards who can shoot and score consistently and get hot and, you know, from the mid-ranger outside in McNeil and Sherman. The key is, and, and West Virginia – we mentioned Texas Tech. West Virginia is also one of the best home court advantages in all of college basketball. This should be a rowdy environment, and they need this game. They're sitting right probably, like I think on Bracket Matrix on like the 12 line, and they absolutely need it. And Texas Tech coming off that emotional win. We've seen them on the road, you know, slip up a couple times. They haven't been 
that impressive on the road. They did win at Baylor, but their other road games this year, they lost at Providence. They lost at Iowa State, and they lost at Kansas State and then at Kansas. So they haven't been – that's it. I mean, they're one in four on the road. Played some good teams, but they haven't been a juggernaut, and obviously they have one of the best home court advantages in college basketball, as does West Virginia. The key, though, Taz Sherman, he's in concussion protocol. He has to play. They need him specifically for this matchup. He was cooking against Baylor before he got uh, – they might have won that game if he didn't go out. He got hit in the face, no foul call. And he's in concussion protocol. Huggins didn't offer any sort of insight. He just said, well, we don't know, um, as you would expect from him. So keep your eye on his status. He's massive. And, uh, yeah, if he gets announced in, it's just a great spot regardless. Maybe the line would adjust without him. Um, but uh, I really like it if he's in. And I would imagine if there's any chance, he's he's going to try to give it, give it a go. Um, all right, I'll, I'll go with Florida State against Wake Forest. Um, They've lost three straight. As of right now, I think they're out of the tournament. If the, if the season ended today, and I think per bracket matrix, they're out, which is crazy to say for Florida State. They've lost three in a row. And this is uh, just a hype home spot against Wake Forest, who, by the way, they lost revenge angle, too. They lost to at Wake by 22, I think. Shot quality made that game 75.1 to 74.9. It was basically <laughs> a dead-even game. Florida State's also shooting just 31% from three in ACC play. They're allowing opponents in ACC play to shoot 39.5%. So I think that they're that they're 14th in the league in both. I think there should could be some a little correction there. It's not a vintage Florida State perimeter defense, but I'd expect um, you know the you know home hype spot must win that their perimeter D will be as good as you'll see it all year. Similar to when they beat Duke at home, and everyone just. Everyone continues to make every single open shot against Florida State, and I don't think that'll necessarily continue. They rank 355th nationally. 358 teams in points per possession allowed on unguarded catch-and-shoot jumpers in the half court. I can't imagine that. Last, Wake Forest has turnover issues. They're 14th in the ACC. In conference play, Florida State can exploit that. They can, they're can they going to press. I think they press the second highest rate in the country. Wake Forest, meh, against the press this year. And uh, – yeah, I mean, Florida State has had some injuries. They lost Osborne. They lost another seven-footer. But I think this is just a great spot for a desperate young team at home. Sell high. Where are you going? I'm going to go with one of the biggest hold-your-nose plays on the entire Saturday board. I'm going to sell high in Auburn on the road at Georgia on Saturday. Uh, Auburn's 21-1. and I don't think they're that as good as their record indicates. This is an ultimate sandwich spot for them. They coming off that emotional rivalry win uh, against Alabama where they put up 100 points. And like Colin already mentioned, coming to Bud Walton Arena on Tuesday night to play his Razorbacks. Georgia has been a tad unlucky. They're due for a little positive regression. Uh, Defensively, they actually have a positive adjusted efficiency differential on shot quality when they have around minus three on Ken Palm. Georgia did lose to Auburn uh, by 23 a few weeks ago, but they did hold the tie. I was on them plus 22 and a half. Missed a free, <laughs> free throw to cover. Yeah. I mean, they did hold Auburn to 10 of 36 from behind the arc and they just allowed too many offensive rebounds and turned the ball over too many times. Georgia speaking of free throws does get to the free throw line at the 14th highest rate in the country while Auburn is 250th in free throw rate on defense. So this is a big time hold your nose spot. Uh, Ken Palm has it at Auburn minus 19. So I would I'd love it at that, but I'll play any Georgia anything plus 16 or better. 
Yeah, if I can get 1920, I think I would have to join you on the spot alone. Really high backdoor risk as well as we saw in the first matchup. Unfortunately, they Auburn wouldn't let him get a layup. I thought it was a flagger. They didn't call it a flagger and then missed free throw. Um, so, uh, yeah, the one thing that scares me, Georgia's transition defense is they're in the one percentile nationally. Yeah, they're, they're bad. And, uh, that's scary against Auburn. But, yeah, the number and the spot, you know, you're not asking them to win or lose by single digits. I don't hate it. Sell high. I'm going to go Michigan State. They're 17-4. to Shot quality, by the way, has them at 12-9. and the team that's stolen a bunch of wins late, and they did, they did it again at Maryland in a game I think shot quality had them losing. They won on a last-second layup, and they have a Tuesday matchup with Wisconsin, huge game in the Big Ten standings. And I think the market is just overvaluing this Michigan State team, which is just – it's just not – you know, Christie's playing a lot better, but it's just not the most talented offensive team in the country. They're also running really well from three in-league play on offense and defense. I think there's some regression coming there. And Rutgers at home has been just a different team uh, at the rack. You should have a good crowd in Piscataway. I'm going to sell Michigan State, who – and by, like I think six of their last seven of games have been shot quality losses, which is crazy. Yeah. Um, even that Michigan game, it's wild. All right, um, home dog. Home dog Saturday. What do you got? Well, we're on the same page once again because I had Rutgers circled as my home dog against Michigan State. I'm going to pluck a little stat from your article uh, that basically Michigan state first in the big 10 and three point field goal percentage and free throw percentage on both offense and defense. That is one of those indicators. That's just not sustainable. Uh, Also shot quality tracks um, rim and three point rate, which is essentially the two most valuable shots in half court offense. Michigan state is 319th in that category, meaning they're just relying on a lot of mid range jumpers uh, more than they should uh, in half court offense. Michigan State also spends a ton of time in transition, but they're not really effective. They're bottom 40% of college basketball in points per possession, while Rutgers is fifth in the Big Ten in defensive transition. So I'm with you. I I think this is a great spot to fade Michigan State once again. Ken Palm, I believe, has it at Michigan State minus five. Love it at that, but I'll play uh, Rutgers down to plus three. Um, All right, let's go to any other spots. I'll, I'll start. I had Indiana. This is probably the sandwich spot of the day. And Illinois comes off that huge win against Wisconsin, and they have a revenge date with Purdue on Tuesday. Before that, they have to go to Assembly Hall. Indiana, who's 9-3 and against the spread at home this year, has already beat Purdue, already beat Ohio State at home. I think they get Illinois here. I think they'll be a really short home dog. They don't – Rob Finnessy won't play. Heard a little bit on the defensive end, but I think they have enough depth to compensate. I really like how they finally got a road win. Uh, and cover in, in conference. It was, I, I think they can carry over that momentum from last Saturday, by the way. They, so they had a week off to prepare and rest. Meanwhile, Illinois played Wisconsin on Wednesday. Hoosiers also excellent at defending in the post, 93rd percentile for synergy. That's huge against Kofi and company. And I think Indiana can get some easy buckets in transition, which will keep the crowd really engaged. They're actually top 10 in the country in points per possession in transition. Per synergy, Illinois' transition defense, extremely shaky, 27th percentile. So, yeah, I think just the spot here. I mean, after Wisconsin, before Purdue, at Assembly Hall, um, post defense is there. I could see Kofi getting into foul trouble. Um, it just screams Indiana, 
home win in a hype spot. Uh, give me the who, who Hoosiers. What do you got? I'll go uh, Texas at home against Iowa State. This is a wonderful revenge spot for Texas. Obviously, they came off that emotional rivalry loss in Lubbock. I don't think you can really blame them. That was a, just an insane atmosphere and all the off-the-court things with Chris Beard and everything. It was just a horrible, horrible spot for Texas. So I can't really blame them uh, for you know losing by double digits in Lubbock. This game, though, Iowa State beat Texas back in Ames on January 15th uh, by nine. Uh, but the shot quality was basically 50-50. Kalsher just made a ton of ridiculous shots. Iowa State shot 45% from behind the arc when they only shoot about 32% for the season. And Texas just turned the ball over 20 times. Uh, so it was just a really, really bad game for them. The key in this game for Texas is they got to control the pace. They play one of the slowest uh, paces in the country, the 347th in adjusted tempo, and they're seventh in the country in points per possession uh, allowed in half court defense, Iowa state's in the bottom 30% of college basketball uh, in points per possession and half court, but they're very, very good in transition. Texas should be able to dominate inside on Iowa state uh, in conference play. They uh, Iowa state's allowing close to 57% from inside the arc. They have the worst free throw rate allowed in the big 12 Texas third and free throw rate in the conference. They're making a little over 77% of their free throws. It's just a good, spot for Texas coming off that loss. Uh, hopefully they can find their offense uh, after a couple dud performances against Texas Tech and Tennessee, who are two of the better defenses in the country. Ken Palm has us at Texas minus six. Uh, I would love it at that, but I'll play the Longhorns anything up to minus seven and a half. Uh, I'm going to mention Tulsa. They are going to Temple little revenge spot here. Temple's been playing a little better of late, but Tulsa, they're 7-13 and 13 on the year. They're in the bottom of the AAC. They're 1-8 and eight in league play. However, I think they're a lot better than the record indicates. They're 1-8 and eight in games decided by five points or less. They have five conference losses by a combined 17 points against Memphis twice, Houston, Temple, and SMU. They've had some crazy second-half comebacks, but they also led by 15 in the second half against Memphis. And opponents have been shooting 37.7% from three on the year against Tulsa. That's 330th in the country. In conference play, that's 38.7. Zone heavy offense, defense, excuse me. And just look, they've, and it's, it's, that's even worse because they give up a ton of threes in their zone and they give up, I think, the 340th. Uh, for as far as three point rate, they rank 340th in the country. Should see a downward trend. And what gives me a lot of confidence is uh, Frank Haith has been there forever. If you look back at his defenses at Tulsa, like here are the percentages 33 33.3, 35.9, 35.9, 34.3, 32.8, 29.9, 34.1. Average like right around 33.5%. No single season above 36. And they're at close to 38, 39 in league play. So I think you should see some regression there. Temple, not a good zone offense. They are, you know, not good in isolation. They're not a great shooting team. So I think that this is a pretty good matchup for Tulsa, um, who I think should grind this game and stay. Let's see. Ken Palm has this. Yeah, Tulsa plus five, which I would love to get. Temple is, I mean, they shoot 30% from three on the year, 29% in league play. And that's not a regression thing that's uh they can't shoot they just don't have great shooters on that team um and 
you know, they lost Khalif Battle, who was their their best shooter. And on the other side, Temple in conference plays a lot. Teams are only shooting 26.7% from three. So you could see some regression in that aspect. The first matchup, Temple ended up winning 69 to 64, uh, even though Tulsa led by five in the second half at the under 12 timeout. And Tulsa shot six of 23 from three, 26%. Uh, and then, you know, Temple was at 35% from three and 83% from the line. And they ended up winning by five. So I think it's a good spot here to get Tulsa um, after their loss to Wichita State. Um, I think they'll have a good shot to win this game. You got anything else? Yeah, I wouldn't be my I wouldn't be doing my duty as an Iowan and a Des Moines native if I didn't talk about Northern Iowa versus Drake on Saturday. I like Drake in this spot at home with the Nap Center. You and I has been just shooting the lights out in conference play. 36% from behind the arc, 56% from two-point range, over 80% from the free throw line. It they're due to come back down to earth a little bit. This is a kind of a revenge spot for them. They had an epic collapse in Cedar Falls against Drake on January 22nd. They're up 10 with three and a half minutes left to go and ended up losing in overtime. And Drake was without one of their best players, Tank Hample. Uh, with that being said, Hample is back. Drake, Drake won, I think Drake won that game. Drake won that game in overtime, I think. Yeah, they did. They can't, Yeah, Drake won by yeah. six or seven in overtime. But yeah, it was an epic collapse by, by you and I. Uh, Hample's back for Drake, and they look much, much better adding another score to their lineup. Yeah. They beat Loyola this past Sunday uh, by nine at the Nap Center. That, fo- they, that follow-up win at Indiana State was really impressive after yeah. the Loyola win. So you and I is just allowing teams to get to the rim against them. Drake – Shoots over 60% from inside the arc. They uh, In that last matchup, they only went 6 of 26 uh, from three-point range when they usually shoot 35% for the season. So this is a rare spot where it's almost like you're you're selling high on both teams because you and I just shot the lights out against Bradley uh, on, on Wednesday nights. But with Drake having Hample back, adding another scoring option, the UNI defense, which is third to last in the MVC in points per possession allowed in half-court defense, I think this is a good spot for Drake. Uh, at home in Des Moines. So I like the Bulldogs. Uh, Ken Palm has it at minus three. So I love the Bulldogs at minus three, but I'll play up to minus four. Talk, so, talk some of the marquee games. You have Baylor, yeah. Kansas, but there's a lot of uncertainty on who's going to play. So you will have a preview for that game up on Action Network app. Uh, Agbaji status, unknown. He went into COVID protocols. Baylor has a bunch of injuries you want to keep your eye on. But just so many super games on Saturday. Kentucky, Alabama. I'm going to be tempted to take Alabama as a home dog. They just, the, in these home hype spots, I mean, it's a team that has wins, just the most impressive wins in the country. I think they might be getting like three, three and a half here. The offensive glass for Kentucky does scare me against Alabama. Um, and, but if you look, I mean, Kentucky offensive rebounding and league play hasn't been that great. You still have Sheba in there. Um, the transition offense of Kentucky scares me a bit. And, you know, what – excuse the Alabama transition defense. Kentucky, I think, is getting out of transition the second highest frequency in the country. But th- this Alabama team is – they're going to – look, they've been great in these home hype spots. It's going to be an electric atmosphere against Kentucky. They're going to make shots eventually as a team. And, you know, they shoot threes at a ridiculous rate. They're 48% three-point rate in conference. They're 47% on this – season which is top 20 it's a high variance team but they're only shooting 31 percent on the year 28 percent in conference play so i think that 
this could be a good spot. I mean, Kentucky's been scary in these great spots, but um, I could see Alabama pulling this out. After that uh, really embarrassing Auburn loss, any thoughts on Alabama-Kentucky? Yeah, it's it's. I'm very, very interested to see where this line ends up because what happens typically with Alabama, because they have such a, a good home court advantage and they played so well at home over the, the past two years under Nate Oates, you know, against Auburn, they opened around a pick them and then, you know, it closed at minus three against LSU when they were on their high. It opened around a pick them and closed at Alabama minus three and a half. So I, I wouldn't be surprised to see it just open up at straight, you know, Kentucky minus three. But I, I don't know. It, it Maybe I'm crazy, but there's a potential Alabama could be favored uh, where this line closes. And all those matchup problems that you mentioned uh, against Kentucky, I might. It's, it's tough because Alabama's lost twice in the last two years at home, once to Auburn. And last year they lost in the non-conference to Western Kentucky, which was, I, I didn't realize that, which was, you know, kind of shocking to look at. But yeah, it's, it's going to be hard for me, if, especially if you're getting Alabama plus three, plus three and a half, to not take the tide, given how good they've been at home. But I am very interested to see where this line ends up. And if Kentucky potentially becomes a underdog, I think I might have to take the Wildcats because that performance at Kansas does give me a lot of confidence in them after, especially after they uh, lost to Auburn. Obviously they had some injuries uh, with that, but when Kentucky's finally fully healthy playing on the road against a good team, they, you know, destroying Kansas gives me confidence. So uh, I'll see where this line ends up. Uh, If Kentucky somehow becomes an underdog, which I don't know, think they will, I'll play them. Uh, But other than that, I'm probably going to pass given all these matchup issues for Alabama. Duke, North Carolina, which is the most storied rivalry, arguably all of sports, that will headline the day. Carolina swept this season series last year, I believe. Let me double check before I say that. Yeah, they Duke lost 91 to 87 at home, and then they lost 91 to 73 on the road. This is obviously a much better Duke team. Those two teams were pretty similar last year. In both games last year, Duke fans will recall uh, that Caleb Love went nuts in both games. It's a really fascinating game because if you look at Carolina, who just stole a game at Louisville on eight, I that was I don't that know, was crazy. I don't, I, I don't know uh, how their their resume looked, but that was a win they I'm needed. Still, I don't know. I'm still really mad about that game because <laughs> you I have Louisville. I had Louisville. That was I. I'm still very mad at one of the worst refereeing performances in overtime on the road too. Seen. It wasn't like yeah. it was in Chapel Hill. Um, but if you look at North Carolina this year, they've had some duds specifically on defense, but they've all come away from home. You know, one of the things that I like about this North Carolina team of late, you know, leaky black is playing a lot better on the defensive side of the ball. He's give he's more confident offensive offensively as well. Same with RJ Davis. And that's their, able to kind of not put as much on Caleb Love and let him do his thing. The focal point is obviously going to be Baycott underneath. And how does Mark Williams match up with him? That's going to be a huge storyline here. On the other side of the ball, the, the question for Duke is, or for Carolina defensively, is who's going to cover Banchero? Like, is it Manic? Because if so, that's a nightmare matchup that Banchero could really take advantage of. If, if you don't, though, it's like, you have um, AJ Griffin. You got to worry about two. He's hitting fifty percent from three, so that's one of the matchup problems that Duke poses. 
Um, one of the things, if you look at this from a matchup perspective, is that Carolina almost you know, annually will dominate the offensive glass. It used to be more pronounced than it is now, but they're still very strong. They're, they're fourth in league play on the offensive glass. That That's an area that Duke has surprisingly struggled with on the defensive glass. So can Baycott dominate inside with Mark Williams's defense? And then how, how many offensive rebounds can they get? You would think that if Baycott is dominating inside that Duke might go to that two, three zone and then force Carolina to shoot. But Carolina is like, shooting extremely well this year they're shooting their 15th in the country in three point percentage um you know carolina is not going to turn duke over at all they're 356 in turnover rate duke's top 15 in that department um but that's kind of like yeah, you weren't turning anyone over anyway duke is taking care of the ball anyway so I, I don't i actually think that's a net positive for carolina so intriguing matchup here carolina projected on pencom kempom to lose by three Playing really well at home. It's uh, Coach K's last trip to Chapel Hill, and it's uh, Hubert Davis's first uh, as a head coach in this rivalry. What do you see here? Yeah, I I am actually going to be interested in in the total for this one. So Ken Palm has it seventy nine seventy six. So that's what a hundred and fifty five, I believe, is a total. And if I'm doing my math right. Uh, like you mentioned, there's, there's so many matchup problems, I think for Duke defensively, you know, in that, in your article that you wrote earlier this week, I'm going to pluck another stat from it. Duke 50% of the three pointers they allow are unguarded. Like that's crazy. Teams just aren't shooting a high percentage against them. And like you mentioned, North Carolina, 15th in the country in three point field goal percentage. So they could just shoot the lights out uh, against Duke and it potentially not necessarily run away with this, but, you know, put up a big, big time numbers. Like we saw, in those two matchups last year. So North Carolina obviously plays a very, very fast tempo. Duke is a little bit above average. So my guess with this game being in Chapel Hill, North, North Carolina is going to be able to somewhat control the pace and force Duke into a, uh, a track meet. I'm concerned that for Duke, that Bacot's just going to dominate the offensive glass. Duke is 12th in the ACC in defensive rebounding percentage and league play. Uh, so that's obviously very concerning. But on the flip side, North Carolina, like you mentioned, they have been playing better at home defensively, but really the two things they do well is they rebound and they prevent teams from getting the free throw line, but they're very average everywhere else. And they're actually in the bottom 25% of college basketball in points per possession allowed in half court defense. So it's going to be hard for me to stay away from the over on this one. I really hope uh, we can get 155 or lower, uh, but I'll probably be end up just playing the over in this game. All right, uh, we'll have a preview for on ActionNetwork.com in the Action Network app. Any other games you want to mention or talk about before we get out of here? Um, USC Arizona is kind of interesting. I think on on Saturday uh, might be a potentially a good spot for USC with Arizona uh, coming off the the game. If Arizona UCLA. beats UCLA and Arizona State, and then Arizona State upsets USC, yeah, set up that, as well. it would USC. be it'd be perfect. Ken Palm has it at minus eleven. The thing about Arizona is they obviously have a ton of size. But USC is going to be able to match that size, like not a lot of not a lot of teams have done to Arizona this season. USC's uh, number one team in the country in field goal percentage allowed at the rim, so it's going to be very hard for Arizona to get their usual uh, buckets in close. It, USC plays on the road uh, against Arizona State uh, tonight, uh, so we'll see what happens in that one. But uh, with Arizona, even. Uh, you know, Tommy Lloyd, he even came out and said after the loss to UCLA that his guys were just gassed and exhausted 
from the season. He gave them a ton of, you know, uh, some time off. They didn't look good against Arizona State uh, in this past weekend on Saturday. You know, Arizona State was up one with uh, 12 minutes left to go in the game. They just, you know, collapsed at the end. So I think it's a pretty good spot uh, for USC is going to be able to match the size of Arizona. So uh, Ken Palm has it at minus 11. I'll, I'll take uh, hopefully we get USC uh, something in the double digits. Yeah, I also think Michigan double digits against Purdue. They actually think they match up pretty well. Really desperate spot for them too. They have the size inside, but Purdue doesn't run a lot of pick and roll or isolation. That's what really Michigan struggled to defend. And uh, I think that Michigan on the other end can take advantage of some of Purdue's weaknesses uh, on the perimeter. I'll have something written up for that game. All right, now we are joined by Simon Gersberg of Shot Quality. Some of you might be familiar with the site or follow him on Twitter at shot underscore quality resource that college basketball fans, specifically betters, have been using and if not, should check out. What's going on, Simon? Thanks for joining us. Thank you for having me. This is awesome. Wanted to give you a chance to talk about the site and then, you know, it is a betting podcast. So we'll start there, then get into just a couple teams that uh, your model likes and or doesn't like for people looking for teams to potentially fade or and or ride uh, throughout the rest of the season. So why don't you just give a quick synopsis of, uh, of the product itself and what you're looking to do? Absolutely. So obviously, as you can probably get from the name, the point of the product is to quantify and calculate the quality of shots. So we track on every single play in college basketball, the quality of the shot. It takes into account the individual shot making ability and the overall shot selection of the play. So for example, when Drew Timmy's on the left block, that's going to have a different shot quality than when I'm on the left block. You're not good on the left block? I'm more of a right block guy, so that's why. That's gotcha. honestly why. <laughs> and the reason it's so valuable, obviously, from a betting perspective, is because using this quality of shots, especially in college basketball, which is just a smaller sample than, like, the NBA game, results aren't always indicative of process. So there are countless teams of the 358 that are getting good processes, but not getting good results at this point in time. And that's really where we see value and our shot quality bets line value will uh, highlight those teams. Yeah, just to, like from a basic statistics point of view, you're going to have teams that are, you know, with 358 teams, you're going to have teams that are running really good. You're going to have teams that are running really poorly every year. Um, it's just a, a fact of life when you're, you know, only 15 to 20 games into the season, especially. And you started out doing this for Colgate, right? You were you were uh, tracking shot quality for their opponents and for their own team, right? Exactly. Yeah, I was doing it behind the bench by hand and then found a way to automate it for everyone eventually. Yeah, it also takes into account, you know, so if a team is – a team, you know, beats a team by 10 and then, you know, they were making a lot of tough uncontested – I mean, tough contested like mid-range jumpers. And then, you know, the other team went – two of 20 from three and missed a bunch of wide open threes, the team that lost by 10 probably, you know, if you charted out, probably should have won. A good example of that, I remember watching the game and I was like, I had money on Michigan against Michigan State. And I'm like, man, this is brutal because I feel like Michigan is getting so many more quality looks. The, one of the reasons that I like the tool, not, not only for, you know, predictive analysis, but you can, one of the things that I always do as a better is I track, okay, was this, was this bet lucky or unlucky? So like a last minute bullshit. Exactly. What should the actual score should have been? And in that particular case, I think Michigan State won by like 15 or something, but the shot quality had Michigan into like a five-point winner. You know, that can help you understand when you're going through like slumps, 
poor streaks. Like I, I'm right now, I'm in a slump, and I can go back and I can look. All right, am I just getting unlucky? And then because there's so much variance in college basketball, or exactly. is there something you know more flaw that I have to look at in my numbers and or how I'm approaching it? So you know, yeah, some of my hottest streaks in college when I bet college basketball, I'm getting lucky as shit. And then, you know, this is one of the tools that you can use to check it, to check yourself, uh, that closing line value. There's a lot of things that you can do other than just results, which are going to have a lot of noise, especially over the short term. Um, as far as applicable information for right now in today's college basketball, are there, is there a team or two that the model really likes and a team or two that the model doesn't really like that uh, you want to highlight? Totally. I'll go. I'll start with two teams that the model really, really likes. Uh, mid-major team, Georgia State. So they cur- they've lost five of their last seven games, but based off the quality of possessions that both teams have had in the last seven games, they're expected to win all seven. So teams against them are currently shooting 43% from three, but are expected to shoot 9% worse. That 9% worse over the course of the season is such a significant Massive. difference. Like. 43%. No team is shooting 43%. Like, that's ridiculous. That, and their three-point defense isn't even bad. Like, based off our metrics, it's actually, like, above average three-point defense. It's just their teams are hitting everything against them. Uh, so that's one major team. They're shooting really poorly. Uh, and I think they're shooting, like, I don't know, 28% from three or somewhere low. And then the thing that I like about so when you mentioned some of these teams, when you have a team – that you have a lot more data on. So like Georgia state has three seniors that start on the perimeter that were their, their primary contributors last year. They're all shooting way below the way below their career averages, but you know that, okay, this core last year had this body of work and, and exactly. it kind of just confirms that, okay, now I can even have to be more confident that they, they definitely are getting them unlucky, but go ahead. Exactly. Exactly. Uh, and then another one is Pacific. So this one's really interesting. Uh, So same thing with the defensive three-point lock. That's one major factor. So teams are currently shooting 40% from three against them and are expected to shoot 35. They have a little bit worse of a three-point quality defense than Georgia State. But this is the one that I think is so interesting. The opponent free throw percentage, the most uncontrollable variable you could possibly have right now, they're 356 in college basketball. Teams are shooting – it doesn't seem like this would matter, but it really does. Teams are shooting 78% from the line against them and are expected to shoot 67% based off just like the career free throw percentage of these guys taking them. The Tigers got to improve their free throw defense. (laughs) They got to get some football players doing like backflips while uh, the the opponents are shooting or something. They got to mess with the players. I don't know. Maybe it's the home court. Yeah, it's, and it's even worse in conference play. Their opponents are shooting 41% from three and 79.1% from the line. You saw some of this. Uh, a good team to highlight as an example of, you know, okay, hey, there's looming regression and then it hits is um, – and, and the funny thing is that they're still running really well in this department is LSU. Like LSU was elite free throw and three-point defense, and then you've seen them where they've lost five of six now and they just – you know, lost at home to Ole Miss, and you're starting to, you know, to see that LSU wasn't as good as uh, some of the metrics. Exactly. We actually just posted – We I tweeted something out on January 18th, which was basically like two teams that are just major negative regression candidates. It was Iowa State and LSU, um, just for the reasons you just said for LSU. Uh, Iowa State similarly gave up a ton of open threes, but teams were shooting 28%. And since the tweet – 
LSU is one and four, and Iowa State's two and three. <laughs> Ridiculous, absurd. Uh, teams that you don't like, maybe maybe it's Providence, maybe it's Michigan State. Who I mentioned? Any anyone you want to mention? VCU is another major one for me. Expected to have three more losses on the season. Uh, they just squeaked by a Richmond team the other day, and like Richmond dominated the quality of shots in that game. Overall, on the season, I'm just going to keep harping on the three point defense thing. Uh, teams are shooting 28% from three against them, but they give up the 264th most open threes. So, obviously, you wouldn't expect that to continue. Um, so, they're a big negative regression candidate. Yeah, VC's got shooting over their head, too, especially in conference play from three. And, yeah, I had Richmond in that game, unfortunately. And VCU ball goes into the backcourt with one second on the shot clock. It was on a final minute. That. They come down, hit bomb a three. After they banked in this contested mid-range, I was like, this kind of sums With up. With the shot clock at zero, this guy hits a pull-up, like, double clutch three yep. at the top of Ridiculous. the key with, like, 20 seconds. Yeah, I remember that. Ridiculous. Um, anyone else or anything else you want to mention? I have one play of the day. Based off the shot quality bets model, on plays with eight-plus points of value, the model is currently hitting at 58% and up 62 units on the season. So one of these plays for us right now, assuming the line stays where it's at right now, uh, is Milwaukee plus six and a half against uh, Purdue Fort Wayne tomorrow? Right now the line's at yeah plus six and a half, and right now we have that as eight point nine points of value. Um, so it's a pretty significant play for us, and our eight plus has just been so successful on a pretty huge sample, like five, this five hundred game modeled sample. So I think that's a really really good play. Well, there you have it. Uh, make sure you check him out at shop underscore quality on Twitter for all of the stuff he's referred to. And then you can also check out the shot quality site, shotquality.com. I'll, uh, you know, some of the stuff that I put out there on action network, I reference as well. It's a great tool. We'll have you on again, uh, before the end of the season, but just wanted to get you on, uh, to talk a little bit about the site and, uh, good luck the rest of the season. And we'll talk soon. Of course. Appreciate it. Sucking. I appreciate Simon taking the time. Appreciate Colin as always for checking in. The guys from Three Man Weave with the Friday Night Six Pack. And of course, my co-host, BJ Cunningham. Uh, I do want to give out some gi- some giveaways. Kelbell417. Hey, guys, love the pod and sweating out Saturdays in the winter. You guys give great insight in all conferences, not just Power Six. Great tips. And on the re- dreaded regression monster, DM me or the uh, our producer at old boy Uncle Mitch, Matt Mitchell on Twitter. Football 24444, Unreal Pod, been following both stuck in CW on the Action Network for years, but this year I've listened to the pod. Great analysis. New college basketball edition is great. Definitely not poverty. Well, I'm poverty right now, but the pod is not. KDG2, five-star entertainment, four-and-a-half-star picks. And Jonathan follow most in-depth analysis you'll find anywhere. So there you have it, those four. DM me or the producer. We'll get you out some gear. I appreciate everyone listening. Make sure you subscribe, unsubscribe. Leave a review. Leave five star review really helps us out, and we'll get you some gear. Tell a friend, tell an enemy. Let's uh, get this machine rolling. Good luck on all your wagers this weekend, and we'll catch you next week. We'll be back on Monday. Myself, BJ, Mike Calabrese. Wednesdays, three man weave guys, BJ and myself, with some guests. We'll be back next Friday, and on Saturday morning, you can catch us on Eight Bets on Campus Live, ten thirty a.m. Eastern on Twitter. I'll be there with the guys from Three Man Weave, and we'll break down Saturday's card. See you there. Good luck. We'll catch you later. Cheers. Cheers.